Hello, and welcome back to the Permissionless Podcast. I'm your host, Selena Vidya, and we are on season one, episode eight. Want to give you a little forewarning about this episode. I'm still a little congested, but for whatever reason, when I recorded this with Kara, I was super congested. I was really slow talking, trying not to cough. So if it sounds like I'm drugged or really slow, it's because I was, and I apologize ahead of time. Hopefully it's not too slow for you, but it was just too good of a discussion not to post up and re-record. So thank you so much for tuning in. I know a lot of my listeners will recognize this guest because they read her books. She is a multi-book author. You may know her as Kara from The Champagne Diet. She's also written Fearless and Fabulous, Sparkle, Stripped, Style Your Mind, Girl Code, and she has another book coming up. So without further ado, take a listen. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Permissionless Podcast. I am so, so, so excited for my guest today. Kara is a six-time published authoress with a seventh on the way. She's a podcaster, a community builder with Slay Baby Collective, and she's an all-around champion for women. I've been following her for a really long time, and she's so inspiring, so I hope you get a lot out of this interview. I know you will. Um, you may recognize her from The Champagne Diet, if you're familiar with her handle on Instagram um, and any other social network. So hi, Kara. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi. That was such a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So how's your day going so far? My day is going well. Um, I'm sitting up here in my studio, uh, just kind of, you know, hanging out, recording some shows. Excited to chat with you. How's your day? It's good so far. Um, I've just been going through email and prepping for the show and, and doing all of those things. The weather's beautiful on this coast, so I'm just crossing my fingers it stays that way for a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I think we got some of your weather because New York is pretty hot. Oh, I know. Um, I actually used to live in New York, not the city. Um, I was upstate, so I'm, I'm very well familiar with the snow and the cold weather that starts to roll in around October. So hopefully it stays a little bit better for you, too. <laughs> totally. Okay, so uh, let's jump right in. So one of the things that I really want to start off talking about, and then we can just go to wherever this takes us. So you were at, I believe, eight years at MTV. Um, and so I kind of want to explore what led up to that. How did you get into that career? And when was the decision, uh, like what ultimately drove you to leave MTV and, and take on your own projects? Well, I started my career at MTV, um, like you said, eight years prior to when I left. So I, was, I started there in 2006. And I had always dreamed of being a music journalist. I wanted to be a writer for the longest time. I love music. So back when I was a teenager, I started a little music fanzine, they used to call them, from my bedroom. And my dream was like to be, you know, Tabitha Soren from like MTV News. <laughs> I wanted to, you know, one day maybe work for Rolling Stone or Spin Magazine. So music was always a huge part of my life and writing was always a huge part of my life. So in my mind, my career path was going to take me down that road and that's what I would ultimately do. So I wound up taking a job at MTV, not because my, the job itself was glamorous. I was a digital ad trafficker. So I don't know if you know what that is. Most people don't. I didn't know when I first started there. Um, it's like the most non-creative type of job I think anyone could imagine. But I took it as a stepping stone. I thought, well, let me just take this, you know, do well, make some connections in the building, meet some people. And then one day, hopefully turn that into a music journalism career. But what happened was I just, you know, I was good at what I did, even though I didn't love what I did. I was getting promoted. I was getting a lot of money thrown at me. And it was just one of those situations where a few, few years later, I found myself so 
just kind of desperate for something different. I felt myself like sucked into this world and I kind of felt like I was living a double life because it wasn't me. And even though I was good at it and I was excelling at the job, I was just, it was totally off the course of what I had planned for myself. So I landed there um, with a dream in mind and I, I really ended up with something completely different. But in retrospect, it all makes sense because I think if I had gone down the music road, I probably wouldn't be doing what I do today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because we kind of have a similar path in that, um, you know, from from my background, I'm very much a creative. Um, I'm an actor. I'm a writer. I do all of these things. And I ended up in an agency as well. And I was working there for years, also feeling like I was living a double life because I would moonlight and try to pursue the things I'd wanted to. But during the day, you know, I was doing just a lot of data data analysis and things like that. So I love the fact that you became conscious of of the fact that that isn't what you wanted and you tried to steer yourself in a direction that made you ultimately happy. Totally. And I think enough people don't know when it's time to go. Like I think a lot of people find themselves in situations like you and I were in and they kind of just accept it. And it makes me so sad because I do think there's value in having a day job at some, you know, to some degree for a certain amount of time. I feel like you probably agree. Like I learned so much in MCV and it you know, it kind of groomed me to be a professional woman, but I had to know when it was time to walk away before, you know, it became 20 years instead of eight years. And then it w would have been even harder for me to leave. Mm -hmm. And so you overlapped a little bit. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you had started writing and doing all of these things publicly while you were at MTV. And then you ended up finding a point where that was something you decided to take the leap on and invest more and finally leave MTV. Yeah, so I was kind of moonlighting as a life coach and writer for uh, almost the whole time, to be honest with you. So I started my I started a blog while I was at MTV about a year in because I just found myself in a situation where I, I didn't feel like myself and I had let so many things go. I was in a relationship that wasn't healthy for me. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't expressing myself creatively. And what inspired my blog, The Champagne Diet, was a good friend who introduced me to champagne as something that I could drink that was, quote, healthy. Because <laughs> I was, you know, look, we were always taking clients out and, you know, going to dinners. And I was just like, well, you know, I definitely want to change my lifestyle. But I also love to enjoy myself. And I love to have fun. I feel like I was probably French in a past life because I could literally just live on <laughs> cheese and wine and champagne. Um, so, you know, through, through the, literally being inspired through a glass of champagne, I started this blog because I started to make a lot of changes in my life while I was at MTV. And I said, you know, I'm not going to let this job take me over. I'm not going to let this job completely change me as a person. I need to find that spark again. So mm -hmm. I, I started drinking champagne as my little kind of go-to. And I noticed I felt really different when I held a glass of champagne in my hands. And I started thinking about champagne as a metaphor for our lives and why, you know, how I should be celebrating, even though I wasn't in maybe the best situation that I could have been in, but I was working actively to change that. So the blog turned into kind of a movement online, you know, back, I mean, this, I say back in the day, it was, ten, you know, 10 years ago and was very kind of back in the day, there was no Instagram, you know, there was no Snapchat, no Pinterest. It was just Twitter and Facebook. So I kind of mm -hmm. grew a following there and the blog really took off and I started self-publishing my own books and I kind of was building this sort of thing on the side. And it was really weird because I go to work and people would be like, oh, I saw, you know, an article in Glamour about your, your blog. I didn't even know you had a blog. And it became like this very strange, like I said earlier, double life where I was doing both. 
And then ultimately I wound up leaving, but it took me a really long time. So if anyone's listening out who's a side hustler, I get it. I totally know what it's like to be building something and kind of planning your escape, as I call it, while you're Mm -hmm. balancing the full-time job. It's definitely not easy. Mm -hmm. And so I want to talk about something. So even though you had all of these things lined up, um, you knew your purpose or you were starting to find out where your purpose um, laid and you made all these changes. I know very well that um, mental sabotage can be a thing where you know everything is lined up, but you still somehow get in your way when you want to make the leap and kind of leave the safety net of what you have. So how did you prepare mentally? Did you have mentors that you were looking to at that time? Um, Kind of walk us through that process. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So at the time, um, I was kind of like surfing around the internet for inspiration. So I was following other life coaches. I was, you know, getting involved in Facebook groups with other female entrepreneurs who had done it. And I was really looking to those stories to inspire me. And I remember thinking, you know, if she can do this, I can do this. So I kind of use that as inspiration. I think a lot of women can get caught up in feeling jealous or feeling like, oh, like I can't do this. Like if this is not the life that's meant for me, maybe she's successful, but what if I fail? So I kind of flipped the script on that. And I said, you know, if all of these other people are killing it and leaving their jobs and making money, I can do it too. So I definitely relied heavily on those communities and starting to make connections with women, but I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have a coach. I kind of just was winging it and trying to find resources wherever I could. And I faced a lot of, um, trying to think of the best word for it, a lot of confusion when I was leaving because at the time I was a director at MTV. I was making a six figure salary. Everything looked great on paper. I had health insurance. I had a 401k. You know, I was on the right track in a lot of people's eyes, but I was so unhappy. So there was a lot of inner work that I had to do. And I spent a lot of time alone and I live in New York. So one of the places that I used to go for inspiration was, and I still go, is the Champagne Bar at the Plaza. And I remember, you know, going there and bringing my little journal and just writing and, you know, maybe leaving work early that day or taking like a personal day and going up there and ordering myself a glass of champagne that was like, way too expensive for me at the time, but I was like, you know, I'm going to just do this and kind of give myself this feeling. And I remember I would go and pretend that I didn't have my job. Like I would pretend I was a full-time author and sit there with my glass of champagne in my journal and sort of like get in the zone. And that really helped Mm -hmm. me because that kind of almost trained my brain to think that I was living the life that I wanted to live. So I was kind of putting myself in that situation um, before actually making the leap. So it's almost like you know, the whole kind of act of visualizing and, and acting, you know, as if I think is so important when you're looking to make a change, because now I go up there all the time and that's like a place I meet clients or, you know, other entrepreneurs for a drink and kind of talk about things. So definitely, um, spending a lot of time alone was really, really important for me and kind of blocking out all of the noise around me of the people who didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's such an important point because oftentimes when we make a major life change or planning on it, we rely on relationships, which is great. But at the same time, I think a lot of that can be busy work too, because we're kind of afraid to be alone with ourselves. And so I love the fact that you took yourself out alone and you were doing these things and finding areas that you felt comfortable and eventually where you went was manifested into where you were taking clients and things of that nature. Um, and for any of our listeners, she, um, on the Style Your Mind podcast, which we'll talk about in a little bit, there's actually a um, episode focused on fantasy and kind of taking, you know, what you see for yourself and not taking anybody's shit and 
imagining that for yourself and living that, which is exactly what you were doing. I love it. Yeah, I really believe in fantasy and play and dreaming. And there's a Gloria Steinem quote that I love. And, you know, she says, dreaming, after all, is a form of planning. And I feel like there's a lot of mm-hmm. talk in the world of entrepreneurship about hustling and working and grinding. And I believe that that's all so, so important. Obviously, I work super hard. But I also think that we can't discredit those times where we're sort of daydreaming and imagining because if we don't use our imaginations to create our future reality, it's impossible for us to visualize it and it's impossible to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And you've talked about manifesting a lot in the past. And one of my favorite stories that I'd come across, um, and I'd love for you to just run through it really quick, is when you you were traveling and you were kind of manifesting in your head a specific seat number, I believe, and then you found out later on that you actually ended up in that same seat number going in, on an international flight, I believe, correct? Yeah. So I, you know, I grew up really broke. <laughs> my, my mom was a single mom, so we didn't have a lot of money and we didn't really take a lot of vacations. When I was young, I think the last vacation I took as a child, I was 11 and we went to Disney World and my grandmother paid for it. And then after that, I never, we never took another family vacation. So, you know, I never flew in first class and it was a big dream for me. I was like, one day when I'm rich, <laughs> you know, I'm going to fly in first class. And this was always just something I loved. Even though I was poor growing up, I loved glamour and I love the idea of this exciting kind of fast life. So one of the goals that I had set when I was getting ready to leave MTV and when I first left was imagining myself on an airplane sitting in the first row, sitting, you know, right up there, you know, in first class with a glass of champagne and just looking out the window at the clouds. And, you know, I had that dream in my head and I started traveling a little bit my first year in business on my own doing TV segments. And I would literally fly myself to like the tiniest little stations, like, you know, whoever I could convince to let me come on their show for a minute, you know, their morning show. And I would fly coach in the beginning. And then I remember the first time that I, I looked at, I said, let me just look at the flights to go to Chicago. Cause it's a really quick trip from New York. And the flights were kind of affordable. It was within my budget. So I, I bought my first, first class ticket and I sat on the plane. I didn't even think about the seat number. You know, it was just like, I bought the ticket and they assigned me a seat and it was seat one a, and I got on the plane and it was the first seat. I get like chills just talking about it. And it was the first seat. And I remember like they came around and said, you know, do you want something to drink? And, you know, when you sit in first class, they actually hand you a glass instead of a plastic cup. <laughs> I remember thinking like, this is the life. I have a glass. <laughs> so I had this little glass. It wasn't champagne. It was white wine, but it was close enough. And I took a picture. And I remember thinking in my head, like, this is exactly what I picture. This, you know, this is literally exactly down to the seat number of where I saw myself. So, you know, it's, there, it's a combination of visualizing and fantasizing and then doing the legwork to back it up because we can't just, you know, snap our fingers and make a wish to have these things come true. So it's, it's sort of like that gentle balance between the dreams and the work. But that was, that was definitely a moment. And thank you for reminding me about that because I actually kind of, you know, I don't think about that often because it was like a couple years ago, but it was definitely a moment where I felt it all coming together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you had mentioned having to put in the legwork. And I talked about this a couple months ago where you can visualize all you want, but realist or not realistically, but if you put in the work, you have to actually take the steps to achieve that dream. Um, you can't just imagine it and hope it happens. You have to right. put each step in place to get there. And 
I think this is actually a good place to segue into um, the writing side of your life. So you're actually a self-published author. I believe you just scored a book deal um, with Girl Code being re-released, and you bypassed all the gatekeepers when you were starting, and I'd love to just talk about that and um, explore. Yeah, so I, like I said, writing was always my dream. So, you know, I knew I wanted to write a book at some point. Didn't really know how that was going to manifest. But once I started the Champagne Diet blog, I thought, well, I've got a story here that I want to tell. And I was going through all these changes and I felt like I could write something to give women hope that, you know, you can find happiness and you can find yourself in a new life. And it doesn't have to be you know, I, I knew I didn't want to write a book that was very preachy and very self-helpy because I'm so down to earth and so fun. And I just, I believe in, like I said, play and fantasy and all these things. And, you know, I'll sometimes meditate with a glass of champagne or <laughs> I'm very into the spiritual world and I have my crystals, but I'll throw them in my Chanel bag. Like I'm, you know, I felt like I kind of had this, this way to sort of write about what was going on in my life in a way that was relatable to a lot of women. So I got a literary agent. I I literally Googled, how do you write a book? How do you get a book published? And I found out that I had to get a literary agent, which was very hard to do. I think the statistics on landing an agent are like insane. I think like 99% of query letters get rejected. So authors basically send a query letter randomly to a lit agent. And like if they like it, they'll represent you. But it's very hard to do. And I wound up getting a couple offers of representation, which was really exciting for my first book. And ultimately, I signed with the agent who I thought would do the best job. And he worked on the proposal for almost a year. And it was finally time for her to start shopping it to publishers. And I just started getting rejection after rejection after rejection. And everyone pretty pretty much said the same thing. You know, I was a first-time author, and I didn't really have a track record, and I wasn't a celebrity, and my following wasn't big enough. And it's funny because I remember at the time thinking my following was so big. Mm-hmm. I had like, you know, 3,000 Twitter followers and I thought I was like, you know, <laughs> I thought I was it. I was like, well, I have 3,000 followers. I know the world by this book. And it was a lot for me at the time. But, you know, now that I understand, like, I guess the magnitude of what it's like to have a much larger following and, and you know, the difference and also not just the following size, but the amount of time that you've been out there. You know, I had really just started really kind of getting my feet wet in the personal development space. So the book got rejected a total of 19 times by 19 different publishers, which I didn't even know there were that many publishers (laughs) out there. And I was really defeated at that point, but I was also really determined because on the sidelines where this was all going on, I was watching what was going on in the self-publishing industry. And there was a lot of movement happening at that time. Typically the self-publishing world in the past had been something that no one did. It was very expensive. It really wasn't easy to do. You know, there weren't companies like CreateSpace who was connected to Amazon where you could literally publish your book in a few days and be able to seamlessly distribute it and collect royalties. It was just not not the thing to do, but it was becoming the thing to do. And I remember reading a Seth Godin blog and he said it was it was a blog basically about picking yourself. And he was explaining how all industries were changing. This is probably like around 2011. And the music industry was changing because artists could put their music on iTunes and the self-publishing industry was changing because authors could use Amazon. And the, the article, it was really short. It was like not even a long post, but it really, really struck a chord with me. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to pick myself. And I did. And I self-published my first book and then my second and my third. And then I self-published Girl Code in 2015. 
really not expecting anything. At that point, I had really put the dream of having a publisher behind me because I was successful with the books. Um, and that was it. And I, I put it out there and it just took off for some reason. That book was just the game changer. I think it connected people who needed to hear a message that wasn't really being said, you know, about supporting women and being collaborative rather than competitive and just, you know, giving people the space to dream and believe that they could have whatever they wanted. And ultimately, um, that book got the attention of Portfolio Books, which is a division of Penguin Random House, who ironically enough published Seth Godin. So I'm label mates with him. And um, <laughs> Sophia Amoroso, Girl Boss, they did. They did a lot of books that I really, really respect. And they offered me a book deal. And they, they made me a deal to re-release Girl Code so it could be everywhere, worldwide, in airports, in Barnes and Noble, many of the things I didn't have, you know, through the self-publishing world, because you're a little bit limited there with distribution. And they bought my second book, which is coming out next summer. So it's just been an interesting ride to kind of see what happens when you just, you know, really stay persistent and consistent with your dreams. And now looking back, I'm just so happy that it worked out the way it did, because I think if I had gotten the deal, you know, back when I was younger and not as experienced and not as evolved as I am now, I think maybe I wouldn't have appreciated it as much or things just wouldn't have lined up the way they did. So I'm just so grateful for the way that it sort of all unfolded. Yeah. And I think having, you know, not having the book deal initially allowed you to just build an authentic brand too, because you didn't have to answer to a publisher and you didn't have to necessarily tame or tailor your online presence and your actual presence to what some somebody would want, you know, as a public face when you're writing a book. So I think all of that ramp up just perfectly sculpted who you are. And it's so interesting because it ties back into when you were younger and you were creating, um, you know, for journalism, the magazines and things like that. It all comes full circle. It totally does. And you're so right. You know, I think now that I'm in the position I'm in and I was able to sell so many copies of Girl Code and develop a following of my own, my publisher really looks to me, you know, to kind of lead the path. You know, they support me, but I'm really, I'm really doing my own thing and blazing my own trail there and they really trust me. So I don't know if that would have been the case if I had just come in, you know, with zero experience and zero track record. So I'm definitely grateful in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, one of the things I love to talk about um, through this process, so we did touch on um, the rejection and a lot of the things that happened through your self-publishing journey. So when you were experiencing kind of the downtimes um, and things where you just really needed to stay motivated, did you have any types of um, rituals that were older to you that you had tried? How did you just keep keep on keeping on pretty much? <laughs> well, you know, I think I just, I love what I do so much. And I know that sounds like cliche, like, you know, when you love what you do, you don't have to work a day in your life. But I really was just so committed to my work. And it took me a really long time to kind of eliminate the parts of my job that I don't love and, and really start to build up the, the things that I do. But in terms of rituals, I mean, it just became my life. I, I guess that's like the best to put it. You know, I, I was writing about personal development and I was living it too because I felt like, you know, if I couldn't live my brand, I couldn't really teach it and talk about it and, you know, do those things. And I remember specifically when I was leaving MTV, Fearless and Fabulous is my third book. And that book talks all about facing your fears. And I remember one day sitting in my office thinking, if I don't leave this job, like, how can I promote this book? How can I talk about these concepts? Like, the one thing that I'm the most scared of doing is leaving. So I had to really coach myself. I guess that's probably the, the biggest ritual that I did the whole time, and I still do, was really just coaching myself into realizing that if I was going to be a champion for women, I had to also walk my walk. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think um, touching on things like affirmations and positive talk, because it's so easy to get filled with um, negative talk in your own head when you're going through things like this. And so I think maintaining positivity in your mindset, which is, it can be really, really, really tough, but it's so important. And also trying to surround yourself with people who fully support your dream. Yes, yes. I'm big on affirmations more now than I ever was, I think. Um, I write them for myself constantly. So whatever I'm going through, I'll share them on Instagram sometimes. But, you know, in the morning, I usually set the tone or I set the tone of the week on a Monday with an affirmation. And it's not just about reading it or saying it out loud for me. I have to really step into it and believe it. So it's typically around something that I want to work on, you know, something that I feel like I need a little bit of help around. And looking at those words and reading them, repeating them, having them in front of me is like a game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I started doing that in the mornings too. So I don't know if you have kind of a morning writing ritual outside of your your typical writing day, but I try to sit down and write three things that I'm grateful for and I'll write one affirmation just so that I look at that and it puts me in a great mindset for the day. Yes, I'm big into gratitude too. Every morning, that's the first thing I do before I get out of bed. I just say thank you for this day. And I try to think of a couple things off the top of my head that I'm thankful for. And that really also helps me at night. Sometimes, you know, I have a little bit of, you know, um, I kind of ruminate on things or obsess over things when I'm falling asleep. You know, you start to think about everything that like, you know, is on your mind and it sometimes can be difficult for me to relax and really turn off. But I find that gratitude is a really great tool to combat that insomnia or that sort of anxious feeling you have before bed. It, it almost like snaps me out of any situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've started trying to take a bath at night. To, I get, um, so much of that talk at night in my head where I just, it keeps going and going. So I'm like, okay, take a bath. That's part of my ritual. Me too. Um, write something. Isn't it the best? It's so that. relaxing and it just clears your mind completely. It does. And I think it's, it's also just about the intention of taking the time out for yourself. You know, I've been really, really big about living an intentional life. And I think a lot of us just go through the motions and we're doing things robotically and mechanically because we should whether that's t- like items on your to-do list or the way that you run your business or the way that you are in your day job or your just your marriage or whatever it is, being intentional and really saying like, this is how I want to show up in the world today. That's a question I ask myself every single morning. Who do I want to be today? You know, how do I want to show up? How do I want to feel? How do I want to make others feel? And the act of just being mindful enough to, to ask yourself those questions, I feel like is just something we should all be doing. And this is actually, that's a great point, and it ties into something else that I wanted to talk about. So you also have a podcast. You're managing um, the Slay Baby community. You're doing so many things. How do you structure your days? Um, How do you set your intentions for all of these different projects that ultimately tie into you? Well, getting on a little bit of a schedule has helped me. So in the past, I was kind of like, well, I'll just wake up and whatever I feel like doing, like that's freedom and that's what I should do. But that can be really overwhelming. So I've kind of gotten into a groove now. Um, As far as my podcast goes, I have set days that I release episodes. So I'm um, releasing episodes on Mondays and Thursdays, which means that I know I have to record a couple of days in advance. So I kind of have certain days of the week that I focus on recording Um, I have certain days of the week where I focus on going out and just being social and meeting my friends or my family and going to dinner or having a glass of wine in the city. And that really, you know, taking myself away from work has been important. So I'm kind of like the opposite in terms of like some people who can't get focused. I'm like too focused sometimes (laughs) where I'm like, I need to build in some playtime and some downtime or I will lose my mind. Um, But really, 
you know, making sure that I'm, you know, going up for every area of my business. And on a Monday morning, I kind of go through the week and I'm like, okay, what's happening? If I have an event coming up, for example, or if I'm going to travel, I'm sort of revolving my time around that. So it's just recognizing what the priorities are for the week. And sometimes, you know, I'm big into lists. So sometimes I'll just take a list and, and number them. So, you know, number one, get ready for event. Number two, record podcast episodes. Number three, social media time. Cause like you said, managing the groups and making sure that I'm showing up in there every day and supporting people. So it's sometimes it's just as simple as getting out a list saying, you know, what are, what do I need to do this week? What do I need to do for myself this week? Cause I think a lot of times we forget about that aspect too. Um, and then just doing the best you can, you know, it doesn't look perfect all the time. In fact, it looks pretty messy most of the time, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, you do the best, the, the best that you possibly can. Yeah. I feel like as entrepreneurs, we're perfectly unbalanced yes. where we try so hard to have the balance and then we find balance in the unbalance. It's just, it's a crazy world out here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's like, I think it comes along with being a passionate person. You know, you kind of thrive on the chaos and I'm kind of the last minute person where, you know, I kind of wait till the deadline to get things done and not saying that that's the best way to be. <laughs> that's just kind of how I am. Um, I, I love the excitement of pushing out a project and, and just being all in on something as opposed, I don't know, I feel like I'd be a little bit boring if I was super balanced. So I don't know, probably not the best answer, but it's the honest answer. Yeah, I think the pressure is something I thrive on pressure too. And it's something I've been trying to not fix because I don't think there's something wrong with it, but adjust slightly because I have a tendency to work off the pressure and the excitement too. So I'll end up going right to the last minute. And I'm like, this can't be healthy for me, but it works for me. So you just have to go with what works. Yeah. And I think just constantly checking in with yourself. I do that all the time. I'm like, hey, how are you feeling today? You know, and if it's a day where I'm really tired, I read an article about successful creative people and it was saying that the most creative people recognize when they're in that high vibe energy and they recognize when it's a day for them to create. And then they recognize when they're in a the lower energy space. And that's the day they do like administrative tasks or the things that maybe aren't so demanding from like a mental place, you know, mental standpoint. So I've learned to really work with my own energy too. If I'm really feeling it, which I typically am on like a Monday morning, I kind of go all in. That's my big writing day. That's where I'm working on edits for whatever book I'm working on. I'm recording podcasts. I'm kind of, you know, writing blog posts, that sort of thing. So working with the way that you feel as opposed to trying to force yourself into those, you know, creative, energized spaces when sometimes your body is just like, no, I need the break. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely know how that feels <laughs> like. So one thing that I think is really awesome about the Slay Baby Collective, so I'm a part of a lot of groups and there's a great online presence where everybody gets to support each other and, you know, share what they're working on. And the Game changer piece, I believe, of what you've done with Slay Baby Collective is you started hosting meetups across the U.S., which I think getting that FaceTime with people really brings things to another level and you get to connect authentically and really help people build real life relationships with each other, which I think is so important. Um, at what point did you decide that that was something you felt would push the collective to a new level? And did you learn anything through the process of building the real life relationships with the girls in the collective? Yeah, well, the day that I started that group, it was about a year ago, and I remember leaving my Soul Cycle class and walking through the city and feeling like I had nobody to hang out with. <laughs> like everyone that I was close to, you know, was working a full-time job or has kids, and I was really craving a community of women. 
And rather than going out and trying to join one that like, you know, I, which I couldn't really find one that I was connecting with, I was like, I'm just going to start something. So I started the collective really with a vision of having these in-person meetups, almost selfishly in a sense, because I really wanted to connect with, with my readers and with the girls who find me online. And also to give other people that space, because I felt like if I'm feeling this way, other people have to feel this way. And I had done events in the past, but they were always around a book signing or you know, asked, being asked to speak somewhere. And I thought, well, why can't I just do something that's just strictly around girl power and support and just give people a space to hang out? So it's funny because I'm actually sitting right now in the studio that I'm leasing in Brooklyn um, outside of my house. It's my first official headquarters. And I today, one of my plans for the day is to book my first Slave AV meetup in Brooklyn to have the girls come here and just hang out and, and meet and mingle. And I think that that's just a piece of life that is just so, we're just missing that right now. You know, it's so great to be in the online space and the online community, but I knew from the start that I wanted to create something that was offline as well. I kind of like to, you know, to look for things that aren't being done and figure out like, you know, there's a saying I love, create things you wish existed. So figure out where the voids are. And I saw so many successful online communities, but I just felt like not a lot of people are doing this in real life and we need that. So, you know, when I do travel, if I'm doing, you know, an event somewhere, if I can, you know, swing a trip, I'll, I'll just go and do a pop-up. I've done them in London. I've done them in Chicago. Looking to do one in Nashville soon. I have to get to LA. And it's just something that I think is really special for the girls because, you know, everybody sort of meets online, but it's, it's rare that people say, hey, do you want to actually go and have lunch today? Or, you know, people get scared. I notice, you know, people will say, yeah, we should get together. And it's like, yeah, we should. But having the actual meetups gives people a place to show up to and feel like something's almost being set up for them. So it's kind of like that reason to, to show up and, and have a good time and be inspired. Yeah, I think it really takes the pressure off because girl, you know, we come in all shapes, sizes, mindsets. And for me, especially I'm one of those people where I need the extra push in person, mm -hmm. because I get I'm introverted and extroverted at the same time. So I love it. But then I'm like, eh, what do I do? And so having somebody like you arranging things where people can just get together and know that they're taken care of and they have, you know, the ability to just authentically talk with each other is so important. Yeah. And I really wanted it to be something like, I don't, at this point, I mean, I don't charge any money for my meetups. I usually will actually invest in them and buy a few bottles of champagne or some snacks for people. And I, you know, I'm so fortunate that I'm in a position where I can do that. And it's almost like my thank you because these girls, you've been in the group, they support me so much and they're there every single day, not just supporting me, but supporting each other. So mm -hmm. I saw a lot of events happening across the country where there was an entry fee and it was a really high ticketed event and all these you know, people were speaking and it was really just about the speakers and people were coming and sitting in the audience and then maybe there was like a half hour to network at the end, which I don't really like the word network, but <laughs> that's kind of how it felt. And it just, I don't know, it didn't feel authentic to me. Those things don't, sometimes they're great, but to me, just in my gut, I guess, because I have such a DIY background and such a grassroots, you know, kind of background of always being sort of like a renegade, <laughs> just doing things on my own. I was like, I just want to have like a girl power meetup, totally free, come as you are, no pressure, show up and have a good time and not have it be like kind of masked into some big high priced, you know, ticketed thing, so... Kind of my, my yeah, husband. and I, 
Yeah, and I think one of the things you had mentioned about networking and a lot of the paid events, um, the great thing about the collective meetups is that somebody can show up as themselves and you don't have to have the conversation unless you want to about what you do. And what I noticed about some of the other um, events that I had went to is people always want to know what you do. And so I started kind of dancing around that answer and I would talk about my why. So what I do, but in a way that lets them know why I do it instead of just a job title or what my business is and stuff like that. And I think that's one of, yeah. And it changes the conversation too, because that person feels easy with talking about themselves as well outside of the job perspective, which, you know, just, just hearing about the meetups that you have, I feel like that vibe, it's just so, it's so relaxing and and easy to connect with people. It is. And you know, I, I love entrepreneurship. It's my life. I love, obviously I wrote girl code. It's, it's geared towards female entrepreneurs. But I really wanted Slay Baby to be about friendship because I feel like so many people meet and, you know, when we talk about, like you said, when we say, oh, I'm, I'm this or I'm that, it kind of like sets up this sort of weird expectation. And then a lot of people start, you know, kind of sizing themselves up against other people in the room and I don't feel as successful as her. Or maybe my business isn't good enough or I don't belong here. Slay Baby is, I actually have rules in the group, as you know. We don't promote our businesses. We don't talk about business. You know, it's not the, a marketplace. It's not a promotional place. It's just a place to come in and talk and connect. And my meetups are the exact same way. Sometimes we do talk about business and the conversation goes there, but it's really just about women supporting women. And I personally have seen nothing like that out there. I feel like everything is so job focused. So I really just wanted it to be completely opposite in a place where people could really just feel like they could be themselves and they are enough. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think it is so needed, like you said. So before we do a little thing on the show, it's a speed round. But before we dive into that, you had mentioned that you're working on another book. And I'd love to hear what that's about. um, Some of the challenges or things that you're excited for about that book. Yeah, the next book is called Like She Owns the Place. And it's a book about confidence, but it's a book about developing what I call sustainable confidence. And I think it's something that I have searched for so long and I feel like now, you know, I'm finally getting to a place where I feel it. And I think a lot of us have been taught that confidence comes, you know, in the form of, you know, beauty or our bodies or, you know, you're confident if you lose weight or you're confident if you wear a certain outfit or if you get a promotion at work or we sort of look for these outside things that kind of like sugar rushes of confidence, but really developing true confidence within yourself, I think, comes from really being who you truly are at the core, flaws included, mistakes included, F-ups included, you know, all of the mistakes, quote, failures that we perceive, those are the things that really shape us. So this book, I hope, is going to really help women get comfortable with who they are really, really at the core. And it was actually inspired um, by a Stevie Nicks concert that I went to. When I, this is when I really started to explore the connection between confidence and authenticity. I love Stevie Nicks. I think she's amazing. She's a singer of Fleetwood Mac, for anyone that doesn't know her. And I had a chance to go see her perform in Chicago, actually right after one of my Slate Baby meetups last year. And I was watching her on stage, and she came out and started this song, and it gave me chills. And she's just like such a legend, such a goddess. And the first thing that she said to the crowd was, I am so nervous tonight. Like, I'm just so freaked out. I hope I do a good job for you guys. And something clicked in me when I heard her say that. I was like, Stevie Nicks is nervous. And like the crowd went crazy. Everybody was cheering. They were so supportive. They loved her. And then later on during the show, she she was like giving this beautiful introduction to her piano player and she forgot his name. And she totally laughed at herself. And she's like, oh my God, I'm having a senior moment. 
And I was in awe watching this woman just be so unapologetically her. And to me, that's true confidence, you know, being able to own all of that. We are in a world of filters, facades, you know, total like, you know, we see each other on the internet and everything has to, we feel like everything has to be perfect. But I think when we really peel back the layers and we realize that real sustainable confidence comes from all the, you know, the big messy parts of ourselves that I think we all really have in common, that's when the game changes, you know, not when we, you know, fill our faces with Botox or blur our faces on Instagram or, you know, act like our businesses are perfect. So this book is exciting to me because I think it's going to push a lot of boundaries and I think it's going to make people question things that they thought um, were important to them and have them really redefine what success looks like, what, what self-love looks like. So I'm really, really excited for it. I am so excited for this book to come out because it's a topic that I've been exploring lately and I feel like everything you just talked about, it's written for me, which I know for a lot of other women, that's exactly how they feel when they read your stuff. And I think the idea of perfection is so boring, but it, like you were saying with Instagram and curated feeds and things like that, our society has been driven to such an image-focused uh, culture and life yes, that it's yes. so hard to find people... Yeah, and you can't find people who are just honestly themselves. Um, and I've been trying to get better about if I screw something up, say sorry and try to fix it and make it better and and move forward in a way where you don't have to act like you necessarily did something wrong. Because if you show up as you, that's all that matters. Just move forward and, and do the best that you can. I totally agree. And I think, you know, one of the biggest aspects of this book is like really redefining beauty with women. I think women are so obsessed right now with aging and anti-aging things and looking a certain way. And, you know, I see girls like just, you know, on these crazy diets and like altering their bodies. And it's just like, we have to stop. This is insane. To me, beauty is an energy. And I'm really talking a lot about redefining, you know, what the quote, most beautiful woman in the room looks like. It's not what she looks like. It's what she's exuding and what she's radiating. And I think we have to change the way that we view ourselves, the way we define beauty, the way that we define aging. Like there's just so much work that needs to be done to let women know that like it's a very natural process to age and it's okay to not, you know, be super skinny and all these things that we've just been fed, not just, it's not just ourselves, it's the media. It's everything that's kind of been, you know, pumped down our throats for generations. So there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm really excited to be hopefully leading the charge on that. I love what you said about beauty being energy because you can put two people next to each other and you can have one person just radiate such a strong energy that you're drawn to them and you can't put your finger on it. And I think that's the inner confidence and inner beauty that you're speaking about. It totally is. I completely agree. All right. So I want to be mindful of time. Uh, let's jump into the speed round. So these types of questions, whatever comes to your mind first, um, they're meant to be very, very fast. So we're going to cycle through them. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right. Do you have a favorite book or podcast? Uh, Earn Your Happy by Lori Harder. It's a podcast. I'm obsessed. Okay. Two badass songs that get you pumped up when you really need it. Uh, Freedom by George Michael and Bittersweet Symphony by The Verb. Ooh, those are good ones. <laughs> okay. Boldness, adaptability, fearlessness, and confidence. What do you feel got you to where you are and what do you want to build upon? Boldness, for sure. Um, and I want to keep building on confidence. Who is somebody that you feel truly lives permissionless? Ooh, um, Oprah. I love Oprah. She's my girl. <laughs> <laughs> 
What do you feel is one piece of advice that you would give somebody who wants to live permissionless, but they're kind of stuck in their in their own way and they want to make the leap? Um, I think I would tell them to live every day like it's your last. I've recently lost some people in my life um, who I watched literally live like each day was their last because it was. And I feel like, why, why do we wait for that? So, you know, life is short. Life is so unpredictable. There's just no other time but now. I love that. And who is somebody that you'd like to see interviewed on Permissionless in the future? So Billy Corgan, he's the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins. He's always been a major inspiration to me. And he's recently taken a complete shift in his career path, which I think is fascinating. So I actually really want to get him on my show. But if I can't have him on mine or we could both have him on, I think you should have him on Permissionless. Yeah, if I can get him on Permissionless, I'll be like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I know a great (laughs) podcast and girl that you should connect with. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that... I'm sad to say, is the end of our permissionless chat. If somebody was looking to find you online, what is the best, where's the best place that they can look? Um, I would go to thechampagnediet.com. Super easy to find me there. All my books are there, my social media links, my blogs, everything. Okay. And so they can keep up with you there as well to see um, when your book is coming out and pretty much any kind of business update. Exactly. There's a link to my podcast. There's a link to join the Slay Baby Collective. There's a link to my Instagram where I live basically every day. So it's kind of the one-stop shop for all things Kara. Awesome. Thank you so much again. This was such a refreshing, authentic podcast. I can't wait to share this with everybody. I think they're going to be so inspired and motivated by it. Thank you so, so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. So for any permissionless listeners, the transcript and the show notes will be put up shortly after the episode goes live. And I will see you for the next episode. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me on this permissionless podcast, episode eight. It feels so good to not be speaking as slow as a sloth right now. Seriously, thank you so much for hanging out with me through that episode. Even though I didn't feel well, I didn't want to risk not recording it because I knew it would be amazing and I wanted to get it up on iTunes for you guys. If you love this episode and love this podcast, feel free to give me a review on iTunes. I'm basically bootstrapped in a one-woman show, so sharing goes a long way. If you have friends or family members who might find the guests or the episodes of the website inspiring, please share. I'll love you forever. That's all I have for today. I will see you for the next episode.